Hello, dear friends. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable. It is time for our midweek Bible study right here on our website. We want to thank you so much for taking time out of the busyness and all of the distractions and all of the discouragements that are all around us in these last of the last days. Now, every every time I preach, every time I teach, every time I minister, I'm keenly aware of the fact that this is a time that is different from previous times. We are in the end times. In fact, I call it the last of the last days. Amen. I believe the coming of the Lord is very near. I know the tribulation period is is being, it's like a stage uh, for a live uh, stage performance. It's like the 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 orchestra is tuning up. It's like the stagehands are putting all of the set pieces in place. And the curtain is just about to go up. And when it does, it will begin and it will run until it's finished. Once one particular peculiar domino is tipped, then it runs its course. And when the seven-year tribulation begins, it will run its course till the end of those seven years. And I believe that domino is just about ready to fall. And I, I personally believe the coming of Christ is going to begin to open the door for that domino to fall. I believe the coming of Jesus for his church before the wrath of God is poured out on the world is is uh, is absolutely going to occur in that kind of sequence. The reason being, the whole tribulation period is when Jesus treads the winepress of the wrath of God, when the wrath of the Lamb is poured out, when he comes not in the secret coming, to receive his bride to himself. The unannounced coming, the midnight coming for the bride, when the groom, when the, when the cry is given, behold, the bridegroom cometh. I can't wait. How about you? But until then, I want to live in the sense of urgency and the sense of, of concern for the lost that are not ready and are going to be here to experience the wrath of God upon the earth, the hour of temptation that is coming to try the inhabitants of the earth. Oh, friend, and none shall escape it. It is coming, and I want to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. How about you? That's why I want to see a revival. I don't want to just have an evangelist come or uh, uh, have a, a time set. We've we've kind of taken revival to some different preacher to come in for seven days or ten days and hold a meeting, and the music is different, and we and we change the order of our services a little bit and and because of that difference we're 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 lifted up for a little while and then things slowly but surely go back 
to usual. And we don't want that kind of situation and call it revival because it isn't. So I want to bring you a message today on something that we need to occur in our personal lives right now, individually. If you're a serious Christian living in these end times, we need something to sustain us during the great falling away, during the time of great deception, during the time of great discouragement and great distraction. We need something to hold us true and solid and 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 a revival in our personal life whether other people stay revived or not that we are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ and we are seriously devotedly following Jesus so that he will find faithfulness when he comes that's what he said shall i find faith when I come, not faith to to get mansions and get get fancy automobiles and and live in opulence like Wall Street street moguls or movie stars or sports stars. No, it's faithfulness to God, faithfulness to follow Jesus Christ. And yes, I'm going to say this. It may shock you and rock you because you don't hear it very often and not near often enough. And faithful unto death if called upon. You say, well, we're not living in a, in a Muslim country. Well, we hang on. We may be before too long. Listen to me. If there's not a revival in the church, other world religions and their influence are going to really, really become more prominent as Christianity becomes more of a, of a routine than, than a revival situation. Churches falling away from the faith. Pastors and leaders falling in their personal lives and devotion to Christ. The Bible under attack for its truth in a culture that pushes back to any kind of Judeo-Christian moral system or moral standard. Today, we need a personal commitment to follow Jesus. In the, in the, in the letter to the churches of Asia, one of the churches was in, 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 in terrible persecution. And Jesus' words to them was, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Even if it cost you your physical life in order to have eternal life. I'm not talking about working for it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living devotedly unto Jesus at any cost. Today there will be a cost, and the cost is is going to go up to follow, truly follow Christ. I'm not talking about going to a compromised church that's accommodating the culture and the world. I'm talking about being a disciple of Jesus, a dedicated disciple of Jesus. The more we commit to follow Him and stand our ground on a biblical, a Bible-based moral standard, we're going to get it in the neck from the world. And the devil is going to pull out everything. <laughs> Someone said he'll throw everything but the kitchen sink. Listen, he'll throw the sink. He'll throw the refrigerator. He'll throw the table, the chairs. He'll throw the knives in the kitchen drawer. He'll throw everything he's got at anyone who dares to go counter culture 
today. We're in a fight, whether you like it or not. We're in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle. And it requires spiritual armor in order to withstand in the evil day. And we're in that. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the day. That's the time that we are living in right now. So I want to bring you a message today about something that will hold you steady. (laughs) It's not the armor. You have to stand for the armor to be effective. And there's something that causes you to stand. And we want to discover that today. I want to stand firm, stand true. <laughs> Amen. I want to, I want to be still and know that he's God with all of the chaos and crisis in the world. And I want to stand still so I can see the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance of God in my life. And I want to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. How about you? I want to talk to you today about Holy Communion, a time to remember and a time to forget. I want to make a statement before we get into this. A true revival, a true, I want to underscore true here today, a true revival, one that continues after the evangelist is gone, continues after the emotions settle down, after the special music is gone, and things get back to our daily routine and responsibilities. It must begin and be sustained with a constant revisiting the cross, Jesus suffering our punishment, and thereby soliciting our love and devotion for Him, to be kindled and, if necessary, rekindled. The best place and time for this to occur is at the communion table, a time to remember and a time to forget. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. His body broken, his blood poured out. The focus of our remembrance is Jesus on the cross. So Holy Communion is to help us remember what we should remember and never take for granted. And never take for granted. Listen, as time passes and memories begin to fade, the same thing is true spiritually. Memories can begin to fade and particularly the memory of how we felt The first time we begin to comprehend and apprehend and understand what it meant to us for Jesus to take our place, take our punishment, suffering and dying and staying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and we could be saved. The same thing is true spiritually as time passes, we can lose sight of the suffering of our Savior at the cross. And the love that held him to the tree. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't Caesar's Rome. It wasn't Pilate's decree. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't the Sanhedrin priest. It was nothing less than his pure, passionate love for you and for me. I want to make further statements in light of that. True revival is not when the power of God falls upon us. That's truly a blessing. It's the result of a true revival. It doesn't begin 
with sinners coming to Christ, that also is the result of a true revival. It's not miracles or healings alone in and of themselves. That, too, is the result of a true revival. It's when our hearts individually melt again at the foot of the cross. The first love is kindled at the cross. That's where it begins. That's why Jesus said to the most commendable church that he spoke to as far as their, their doctrine, their, their behavior, their bearing up under persecution. And yet he says something that must have shocked them. The church at Ephesus, the first of the seven mentioned in the book of Revelation. But I have something against you, somewhat against you. And they must have wondered, well, you just told all the good things that was commendable. What could you possibly have against us? He said, you've left your first love. And this is so absolutely, absolutely uh, uh, unthinkable to God that we would quit loving him with the same love that we started with and until all of our religious practices, though perfect, become just routine and matter-of-fact, we begin to take grace for granted, the cross for granted, Jesus suffering and dying for granted. That's why he said, as often as you come to the table, as often as you eat of my body, drink of my blood, not literally, but spiritually, that you remember, that you never forget the price paid in order for you to be saved. That's where the first love is kindled. And friend, that's where the first love must be rekindled. The best place and time for this is at the communion table. The passionate desire to worship Him and serve Him with true devotion is welling up in our hearts when that love is kindled And if necessary, when that love is rekindled, Jesus said unto them, but I have somewhat against you. He said, you've left your first love. Remember, once again, remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do your first works or else I will come to you quickly. See, this is something God will not receive our sacrifices, our diligence, our duties kept so powerfully, perfectly, standing our ground and standing on the Word of God. But listen, he says you got to do it out of a devotion, out of a ardent love for Christ, or it's not acceptable sacrifices unto God. Amen. I'll take your lampstand. What does that mean? That means we will practice our religion and we'll practice the right religion, but we'll have the wrong relationship with God. And people will see it for what it is, what we have made it and what we have been blinded to. And that is going through religious routines instead of a real relationship with God, a fellowship relationship with God. First John says, truly our fellowship, our koinonia, it's talking about intimacy here. Our koinonia, our fellowship, our relationship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
So the passionate desire to worship Him and serve Him with true devotion will well up in our hearts as we, at the foot of the cross, get that clear vision of Jesus taking our place and literally fall in love with Him. When it becomes a routine and a ritual, then we're falling out of love with Him. How you love the song we used to sing, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Oh, friend, do you keep falling in love with Jesus? Where does that occur? When does that occur? Every time, not just in communion. That's a good place, a good foundation for it. But it's what communion represents. It's revisiting the cross. That's why the Apostle Paul said, If I I glory, if any man glory in my sufferings for Christ, I'm more. I've suffered all these things and will continue to do it. And I will stand my ground and keep the faith. Amen. But he said, if I've got something to boast in, it's more than that. It's more than just suffering for his sake. It is in the cross, praise God, whereby I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified unto me. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why he said, I don't want to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. True revival is not just stirring of the emotions. It's deepening our devotion. I want to say that again, true revival is not just stirring our emotions. It's deepening our devotion. When we lay aside every sin and the way, every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, we we can deny ourselves, take up our cross, crucifying the flesh and, and, and the lust thereof in order to do what? To follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. The greatest revivalist down through time were not known just for their anointings nor uh, 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 nor their preaching or spiritual gifts. It was their abiding love for the Lord that was the foundation for their power and effectiveness. That ever-deepening love for Jesus caused them to consecrate and dedicate themselves to His service And when they preached, there was power in it, not just truth in it. The truth is vitally important, but this gospel did not come, the scripture says, in word only, but in power. (laughs) Hallelujah. And in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Holy communion is a time to remember Jesus dying for us. A substitutionary death, the Lamb of God, sacrificial language being offered up so that we could be forgiven, reconciled unto God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, saved and safe from the wrath to come. Holy Communion is also a time to forget When we consider Christ's sacrifice at the cross, we need to forget the sins that we have been forgiven of. We remember to forget. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12. He has a big shovel. This is not scripture, by the way, but it's scriptural. He has a big shovel. He digs up our past sins and tries to condemn us. 
and convince us that we are unworthy of God's love and His favor. In Psalm 103, 8-12, listen to it. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. (laughs) Hallelujah. Friend of mine, you were not just forgiven. God has forgotten. Oh, not that He's erased it from any consciousness of where we were and who we were before we came to Christ. He has decided and determined in His sovereign grace and mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross to never, ever, ever, ever associate you or me with any sins that were committed in the past. Jesus declared at the Lord's Supper, the communion table, the pattern for the Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the sins of many. Hallelujah. Hebrews eight ten to 12. Listen to it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord. This is the covenant Jesus was fulfilling. This is the covenant he was speaking of. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them their God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Well, I remember no more. uh, That demands a hallelujah out in this listening. If you're where you can without shaking everybody up, just say hallelujah and you're listening. Listen, the next, I don't mean to do it ashamedly. I'm just saying if you're, if you're driving in your car and, and you got some people in there that'd be shocked by a hallelujah, you can just say hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Listen, the next time, The devil reminds you of where you've been. You remind him of where he's going. Because your past is past. It's gone. Their sins will I remember no more. I'm so thankful that my past is past. Listen, the devil is not the only accuser. So is our own conscience. Hebrews 10, 19-23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, listen, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, this new covenant, you see, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's where the boldness, I call it holy boldness. 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What does that mean? That means a guilty conscience, thinking of the wickedness and evil we did in the past and we were in the past. But now, having our conscience sprinkled (laughs) from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise, promised what? To not only forgive us of those sins, but to disassociate us from them as far as the east is from the west. Listen, an evil conscience is a conscience that continues to feel the guilt of sins that have been forgiven. An evil conscience is a burdened conscience, (laughs) absolutely uh, filled with guilt. And guilt is a heavy and suffocating burden to the soul. You cannot trust your feelings. You must take God at his word and hold fast your profession of faith. You know what profession means? In the actual Greek, it means to say the same thing as another. In essence, and in effect, it means to say what God says about you, not what others say about you. What God says about you, not what your unwashed conscience, (laughs) amen, unsprinkled conscience says about you, but what God says about you. And God says through his word and by his servant, the apostle Paul, now therefore there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who now walk differently, who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. God took that law against us and replaced it with the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. Time for another hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. The devil, the conscience, and unforgiving people will accuse us. But God says that we are forgiven and we should take him at his word and we should say what he says. Now, this is found, this corresponding scripture about our confession of faith saying the same thing that he says is our true testimony of what grace and God has accomplished through grace and through his son in our behalf. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, Now the accuser of our brethren, see, the devil, devil means diablos in the Greek. It's found in the New Testament of him. It's called the devil. It means a maligner. That's someone that um, that maligns you by accusing you. And we see it everywhere you look today. Amen. Listen carefully. Now is the accuser of our brethren cast down. He's relentless. He accuses us before God day and night. And there's no way to overcome him except through one element and the element that's put in the forefront at the communion table. And they overcame him through the blood, through the blood, through the blood. What can wash away my sin? Let me hear the refrain out there in the audience. Amen. I can almost hear it. Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. You got it right. You got it right. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, powerful is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners like you and me plunge beneath the flood, lose all our guilty, all our guilty stains. Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen carefully to Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall accuse them? Who shall, who shall God listen to when, when, uh, and, and instead of listen to his son and our savior who shed his blood at the cross for us? Listen. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Dear friend, I submit to you today, many times as Christians we forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget. But at the communion table, whether it's a call for at your church or not, or whether you stop in the busyness of life and you just sit down somewhere and you begin to meditate on what Christ has done for you and you start to love him back for loving you that much. Hallelujah. We love him because stimulated by his Love, first love for us. Praise God. Amen. And let us forget and leave behind the guilt and shame of past sins, casting down imaginations, and in bold faith enter into God's presence and receive all that He's promised and fulfill all that He has purposed. Praise God. I love in closing Philippians 3, 13 through 14 in, in that vein of thought. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth, straining forward to those things which are before. I press, strain forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Well, we have a lot more to say and no more time left to say it. But I pray that you will take time to remember and remember to forget so that the revival God wants to send begins in you and me not in a, a particular time frame that is given for someone to preach to us, but something that will begin at the cross. And because of the constancy of the cross, in spite of all the distractions, as long as we focus upon Jesus and Him crucified, the first love will burn bright in our heart 
and it will change the trajectory of our life. We will deny ourselves and be glad to do it. Take up our cross, and it will take us through it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because we'll crucify the flesh and the lust thereof in order to follow Jesus and be ready for his coming. And hear him say to us, in spite of all the pushback, the pressure, the persecution, the deceptions, and the temptations of the end times, well done, my good and faithful servant. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm telling you the coming of the Lord is soon. God doesn't want you to be left here to face it. He doesn't want you to face the wrath of God. He wants you to grasp the grace of God, to lay hold on eternal life. Don't be timid about it. Don't be tepid. Don't don't just slough that offer off. It's an offer of safety. In a time when men's hearts are failing them for fear and looking at legitimate reasons to be afraid what's coming upon the earth. Today you can come to Christ. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be reconciled unto God. You can be sealed with the Holy Spirit, marked as His very own, a mark of ownership. (laughs) And you can be safe from the wrath to come. So don't go further into the darkness. Don't continue to affiliate yourself with those whose hearts are melting. Come to Christ. Get a hope that will outlast all the trouble, the tribulation, all of the things coming upon the inhabitants of the earth. Come to Jesus. Be saved, be sealed, and be safe from the wrath to come.